Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the episode, Kurt and I wanted to make sure you were aware that we have opportunities for you to support us for as little as $2 a month. Whether you want to make that a monthly contribution at patreon.com forward slash MTSG podcast or a one-time donation over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash modern therapist, every donation helps us out and continues to help us bring great content to you. Listen at the end of the episode for more information. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about all of the things that therapists should worry about. And <laughs> this is part two of an episode that we started last week about a citation from the California Board of Behavioral Sciences to a therapist about using a curse word in session. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we talked a little bit about, we talked a lot about using curse words in sessions. And today we're going to focus on a different part of this citation. In the citation, it talks about the therapist not documenting about their decision to use a curse word, how it fits within the treatment, what the client's response to it was, and this being a part of why the therapist was being investigated and wanting to do a dive into what are we actually supposed to put in our notes? Uh, we've had a couple of episodes in the past, so one with Dr. Melissa Hall, one with Dr. Ben Caldwell about what you need to put in your notes. We'll link to those in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. We're not talking about soap notes or structure, that kind of stuff today. We're talking about legitimately, what do you need to put in your notes and what is this signal by the California BBS really mean for the rest of us here? So, Katie, what needs to go in our notes? Well, I think just for folks that want a quick primer, because I they can go over to both of those episodes and get stuff. I'll, I'll say something and, and kind of lead into the rest of this. The documentation for services should follow the clinical loop. Uh, Dr. Melissa McCaffrey-Hall is someone who talked about it really well and meaningful documentation, but... You start with an assessment that leads to a diagnosis that then has a treatment plan that then on a weekly or session by session basis, you talk about the interventions that you're putting forward to help 
the client to meet their treatment goals that's on the treatment plan. And that's a clinical loop, you know, the diagnosis, treatment plan, session notes comes back, and hopefully you're addressing the diagnosis. In this situation, again, we talked about the cursing before, it seems like there is a discussion around were all of the interventions put into the note. And I don't know if we have to include all interventions. I think there's a lot of mirroring and reflection and active listening and all of those things that I think potentially you can put some of those things in the notes, but I don't think every single micro (laughs) intervention needs to go in notes. But I think big interventions probably do, especially ones that are truly impactful to our clients as well as the responses to those interventions. And and even like GURP notes or SOAP notes or any of the notes, there is an idea pretty established that we must put down the interventions that we're using and the client response. So in the very nature of this, you're bringing up intervention is there are planned interventions and then there are also the ones that just kind of slip out. And I think it's important for us to read from this citation so that way our audience here has the same knowledge of what's going on here. So I'm going to quote from, I'm going to quote from the citation and once again we're not releasing the name of the therapist themselves due to respecting their privacy on this, but I think that this is a, a key indicator of looking at how our licensing boards are enforcing stuff yeah, and, yeah. and and potentially looking at their their overreach here. So jumping into the middle of this, we talked in last week's episode about the therapist's use of a curse word towards a minor in session. And quoting from the citation, regarding the record keeping, a portion of your notes, which you had handwritten, are illegible. Additionally, your notes fail to identify which minor you had confronted during the session. Furthermore, your notes do not document either your decision to use a curse word as part of your description of the minor client's behavior, what your rationale was for doing so, what the minor client's response was to your description of his behavior, or that you had apologized to the minor client regarding the wording you had used to describe his behavior. End quote. I think that there are pieces of that that are fair. And I feel like there's still information that we don't know to identify at the word that you used as overreach. I think that the level of policing around our documentation seems surprising to me, but I don't know if I particularly disagree with any of their statements. It sounds like you do, though. My reaction on this is if this is, in fact, used as an intervention within the the treatment session, which Mm -hmm. by all accounts seems to be what this therapist and the therapist's attorney justified that no other ways of reaching this client really made any sort of emphasis that doing something big and bold in session in order to try and get through a client does seem to be a maybe very on the spot decision as an intervention to kind of disrupt and shake things up a little bit that maybe not planned as a intervention strategy. You know, I think last week you and I both admitted that, yeah, we use curse words in sessions from time to time. I don't think that any of my treatment plans will ever include session seven, 
use curse word with this client to disrupt what is going <laughs> on in the therapy in order to help them gain a new perspective. But I think it is something where with intentional interventions in that, that clinical feedback loop that you were talking about, yeah, we do need to include in our notes intervention use client reaction. And I think that that's the language that the Board of Behavioral Sciences is using here that is kind of a catch-all for this, where maybe there's a little bit more nuance in here is in some of the off-the-cuff interventions that we do or things that are human relations sort of impacts that we have on other people that we might not consider in the traditional sense of interventions, that it gets into kind of a fuzzy space of, are we leaning towards the the CYA of covering our asses, of needing to transcribe the entirety of our sessions just to prove what has happened? That's kind of where my initial reading of this is, do we have to document everything that's said and moving into even some of the direct quotations that we use in session with more frequency? That may be what the BBS is describing. I think for me, I don't take that in in that way. I think in this situation, it is hard to to know if this is something that is coming from a parent that is is upset at the therapist or the therapist decision-making. I'm not sure if this is a truly harmful therapist who is saying really inappropriate things in session or some other thing, right? Like I can't speak to this particular situation and I certainly don't feel like we need to do transcription of our sessions and, and quotations of our own stuff. So that's, that's my caveat. If I was in a session and I said something to a client they said that hurt my feelings and we talked about it and I apologized and there was a repair or there wasn't a repair. I would document that. I think any rupture in the treatment relationship is worthy to document because it's potentially very clinically rich, but it also is a, a point of liability. And so to me, it feels like if I recognize that a client is upset by an intervention or specific words that I use, I would document that. And I think that this is the difficulty in looking at information like this because it gets much more complicated with the more people who are in the room. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. (laughs) 
having worked on legislative language before and worked on trying to define things before and creating language for statutes that is broad enough that it speaks to what we do in our profession, a lot of times we just borrow language from where it's already written. And one of the things, especially for couples and family therapy, is that there hasn't really been a good definition of how in statute it looks different than working with individuals. You know, we have a hundred plus years of psychologists language to, you know, work with individual people, but sure. The theories around marriage and family therapy, we can borrow some of the language that as statutes should suggest that those go in there, but for really being conscious of the steps that we're making towards putting this information into our documentation. What I'm hearing you say is that if you're really calling out one member and the citation saying the same thing, if you're really holding one member accountable, you need to be specific to that up to and including emphatic language. Is that what you're saying here? Well, I I think you're, we're talking and I feel like we're talking in two different areas. I think in this situation, we have someone who clearly was overwhelmed, or at least that's what we've assumed, has illegible notes, and there's not specifics in it. So to me, the flavor I'm getting is that if this person, if this therapist would have put in their notes something along the lines of confronted ex-member of the family or used disruption by confronting ex-member and had some bold language and discussed the use of that language and provided a repair within the session without saying, I cursed at this kid, the family got upset and I whatever, but like actually using clinical language to describe what happened, the confrontation, the disruption within the family system, as well as repair and planning for the future. To me, I I don't know that we would, that this would have been part of the citation. We're assuming because they said you did not, you say you used a curse word and your rationale for using the curse word that we're like, oh, we have to transcribe. I don't know that I don't know that I agree with that and I do share your concern that should this become statute yeah I I don't think we need to to transcribe our sessions or put forward really dramatic <laughs> tales in our progress notes so that we cover everything but I I think it's it's a jump in this situation to say oh well they wanted this it sounds like they were appalled at what they found and they put language to to how they put it forward. I honestly have no idea, and I, I don't fault this therapist at all. I, I can't make a judgment on that. But if we're looking at the notes were illegible and incomplete, everything was missing, right? Well, the illegibility part of it, I think, is a curious piece. And I think you and I have both heard from clinicians and I, I haven't heard this as much in the last 10 years and yeah I, I do want to give you credit for being the one who brings up this point before we started recording today so but you and I've both heard for most of our careers about therapists who've taken the approach of well if it's illegible then people have to ask me what was meant there and that's another way of protecting me in my practice yeah. and this is a very clear indication that that is not true. Not true at all. (laughs) 
We need to type stuff into an electronic health record. That's pretty clear at this point. But I think it's really important to be able to you know, have clear notes, do them well. And I think getting into the nuance of just like how descriptive do we need to be in the, the response to this? That I take your point as far as, you know, what may need to be as far as, you know, use this disruption. Is it, you know, needing to put in more and more exact quotes? Is it, you know, just in the more confrontive ones? Or is it also going to be in any sort of situation where a different perspective is going to need that nuance reflected in the notes as well? What do you mean by that? So, you know, there's the clients that therapists use curse words to disrupt them. Yes. (laughs) There's also the other end of the spectrum where therapists may use more affectionate language to help to emphasize a point, too, that maybe seen as a boundary crossing of, you know, expressing some affection in in a way that has some context to it. You know, hey, I really care for you and I really want to see you uh, be successful in this. Do we need to then document that same nuance in that direction? From the description that you're providing there, I think the answer is the therapist, it depends. To me, when I express something that I think that therapists typically don't, you know, I tell my clients I'm proud of them. I tell them I care care about them or I care about what's going on with them or whatever it is. I do show genuine human connection. I think that with one client, it may be completely documenting it out, not necessarily for the CYA purposes, but for reminding myself what I'm doing and, 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 and having that as part of the clinical record because I think it's important. For other clients, if I slip up and say, hey, yeah, you and me both, buddy, or yes, my dear, or have a wonderful weekend, my dear, or something where I slip into a phrase that I might use with friends versus with my clients, and it is a client who may have a response to that that would be not clinically appropriate or their, their response is clinically appropriate, but it would not be conducive and it would need to have a conversation about it. I may document, you know, used informal language of care. We'll address it the next session, you know, to close out the, the session. I will address it at the next session and talk about the conversation of like, Hey, I was pretty casual at the end. It, I feel connected to you, but I wanted to make sure that we talk about our relationship. Like I think if there's a clinical reason that, or a personality reason why the client may take in something in a way that it was not intended or feel that it may be harmful. Yeah. I'm going to document what I said and how I addressed it. And so I think it's, it's something where, Depending on your relationship with the client, the context and what context may be needed should a complaint or a concern or a clinical conversation comes down the pipe and you need to remember kind of what was going on there. I think, yeah, I would document that for myself. As many of our listeners know, I sit on the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists Ethics Committee and not speaking for them, but a discussion that has come up at one of our meetings with one of the staff attorneys who also is uh, on the ethics committee is talking about the way that opposing counsels would approach therapists in depositions specifically around their notes. 
And hearing you say, you know, use informal language of affection, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of the way that that could be interpreted by somebody who's looking at your notes, who's sure. not involved, and the kinds of questions that would come up. Well, what do you mean? Why, why didn't you write what that exact language is? That, you know, this could be anything. My client remembered this as being something completely different than what you're saying now that may lend towards needing to go even a step further than what you're talking about here. Sure. And I think that's part of the it depends. I think if it's a client that potentially is going to have that as a complaint, yeah, I'd write the exact phrase. How do you make a decision then about which clients are likely to make complaints versus those that are not? I think that's a good point. I think there are times when it comes from past history of, of whether it's kind of being litigious or other things. I think for me, it's more my feeling in the moment, you know, and so this is more intuitive or instinctive. Do I need to be more descriptive in my notes or not? Is this a client that I, I think may want to see their notes, may, may have other things that they're doing with these notes or, or if they would be potentially more confrontational or litigious, but you're right. I don't, I don't think that there's a great way to make that assessment. And maybe the, the informal words of affection is not a good phrase to use. To me, I think it's something where if there is a concern that comes up in session that you feel like you want to document, you have to decide, do you document it with euphemisms and clinical language, or do you quote yourself? I don't know. I think there's, there's arguments both ways. Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the number of times that we may start down a path with clients that, you know, clients just kind of give indication that it's not the appropriate way of of going that, you know, we may bring up an idea of, let's say for, I don't know, working with anxiety or something where, you know, you might ask a question of like, you know, have you ever you know, consider doing this. And the client's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Do you document every single one of those like rejections that clients do in, in your notes? The no, I'm not going to do this. I think that's different than I tried it and I felt like it was harmful. I think that was a bad idea. Why did you tell me to do that? I mean, there's different flavors to it. I think if it's a conversation of like, okay, what kind of coping strategies you're going to use or what kind of interventions feel right to you? To me, that's that can be a, a higher level documentation. But if somebody says, hey, I was thinking about this thing all week. I didn't do it because I think it's wrong. And this is this is the thing, the mismatch I'm feeling in this relationship right now. Yeah, I would document that. Yeah, because I think that there is a way that, as you point out, my practice being more with kids, that yeah. there's probably a lot more casual ways of bringing things up with kids and relating them. There might be even with some of the adult clients that I work with. You're making me think within this conversation of kind of the being able to describe in documents why I might do things differently from case to case, where a lot of these statutes are written for kind of the, here's the standard for everybody. Yeah, I think if statutes had their way, it would be everybody must do these things all of the time. Here's very clearly what is okay and very clearly what is not. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. 
Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Before the episode, Katie and I had looked at the California BBS's statutes and regulations relating to the practices of professional clinical counseling, marriage and family therapy, educational psychology, and clinical social work. This is a 300-page PDF that's available on the BBS's website. We'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. Now, through the magic of computers, we controlled F and put in the word <laughs> and put in the word notes. Now, over 300 pages in four different disciplines, notes came up 10 times in this document. Wow. And most of them were about the requirements of education, what needs to be in graduate programs as far as areas to cover. Students need to be taught how to take notes. And most of the remaining other ones were supervisors need to check the notes. So this clinical feedback loop piece of this is something that is left to just kind of the undefined standards of the profession that seems to be what is being grasped at. And Katie had also made the recommendation of, can you control F documentation in the same document? And we ended up with about 70 hits and most of them were, these are documents that need to be provided to the board for proof of your hours and this kind of stuff. So getting back to this citation. Yes. I can agree. Handwritten illegible notes, not going to fly. Not going to fly. The guidance in what the state has said as far as what needs to be in the notes, I'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with, did this therapist do something wrong in their documentation? If it comes down to needing to specifically look at what is the threshold of things that need to be documented, as I'm hearing you talk about it in this episode... You're saying it's kind of things outside of the norm, things yeah. that if we wouldn't do this with all of our clients, if there's something specific to an individual client, we should probably make note of that. So that way, anybody else who's reading it can understand our process of why this fits with this particular client or situation. Yes. Were you ever taught that? Was I ever taught that? I think I was. I don't know that I was taught that as a clinician. When we were looking at this and how I was thinking about it, and I even wrote this in my notes in preparation, is when I was working as a child care worker, aka a residence counselor um, in a group home, Anything that happened that was out of the norm, especially if there was an injury or, or some sort of horrible thing that happened to a kid, we did a serious incident report or an SIR. And so for me, that was always the case that I would write stuff up if it happened and the, the client, the kid was having some sort of a reaction to it or they got hurt, I would write that up and just the facts and what happened and how you resolved it. And so for me, when I moved up the ranks in being a clinician, there's always that in the back of my mind that if something goes down that is different, that is potentially harmful and or could be perceived as harmful because it was a, a mismatch or whatever, 
write that stuff down and make sure that you talk about your rationale, what happened and how the client responded and any repairs. So to me, I, I don't know that that was specific to clinical training. Certainly as I was working as a supervisor, the clinical loop was present, but there's also all these liability issues. And I think especially working with kids and families that are are very chaotic or there's a lot of, of factors that are making things very challenging for the family, I would encourage my clinicians to document those things because of how chaotic it was at, so their supervisors would know so that the clinicians would remember <laughs> what had happened. I think there's all of those pieces that that made it so I'm potentially a little bit more conservative in my note writing, meaning that I write more than other folks may because I feel like there is a, a need to understand, remember, and CYA. From hearing from a lot of our listeners, past students, people who've consulted with me and other just general conversations, I think that your training might be more specific than what a lot of other people working in other agencies, maybe maybe not community mental health agencies. Like sure. I, I will group what you said in and assume that that is a largely kind of standard rule for a lot of community mental health, but for a lot of nonprofit agencies. I don't hear this kind of emphasis. I hear a lot more of the document as minimally as possible. That this audience right here, listen to this. This citation is proof that that is bad direction from sure. those agencies. That what Katie is talking about is really covering your ass, not the agency's ass. You know, <laughs> That this is the proof that boards can and do look at your notes. Yeah. And they're going to find faults if notes are not up to standards. And this goes back to your law and ethics professors of if things aren't written down, they did still happen, but now it's open to interpretation. Yeah. And yeah. your justification days, months, years later is not necessarily going to be protection because what is written in the note at the time is what is going mm -hmm. to be first and foremost evaluated. Well, and I think the the big difference from what you're talking about with other kind of nonprofit agencies and agencies that have Medicaid billing is I was also taught that my my progress note, the clinical documentation that I put together is a bill. And so there needs to be sufficient intervention to justify the minutes that I'm billing for. So the reverse was actually what I was taught all the way coming up at is your notes need to be longer for longer sessions and you need to have sufficient documentation to prove that your time was worth what we're billing for it. So the the other piece, and you brought this up before we, we began, was this kind of what do we remember? Yes. And I think... When I am on top of my game <laughs> and I get my notes right, done right away, I find that I have some detail, some richness, and it does help me to remember from week to week what's happened. When I'm not on my game and I start getting behind on my notes, I, I struggle with that. And I think that folks who are chronically overwhelmed, and I'm going to include a lot of the folks in community mental health, but even practices that are very full, do get behind on their notes. And then how do we do this detail? And, and you, you talked about another issue with potentially when you write the note and what's in it. So 
let's move to that part because I think that's important too before we close up. Well, and I will forever credit Dr. Melissa McCaffrey Hall for this advice that the number one reason that most people seem to be behind on their notes is that they don't end sessions on time. Mm -hmm. And this is phenomenal advice that I pass along to everybody in that the reason that we do a 50-minute session or a 45-minute session is to leave yourself time to document this stuff correctly. Yeah. And you know, going back to talking about how attorneys might approach you in a deposition, they will ask you, when did you write this note? When, why didn't you write it earlier? Do you, what do you remember the next day about anything? Like, can you remember what you had for lunch yesterday and who served it to you? And what was the interaction process? And this is all showing proof of just how much your memory can and does have errors to it. And if that's yeah. the case, then you having errors in your notes from being written a day or a week or months later is very not good practice. It, it is inviting liability. <laughs> Yes, I think, and and I've been on the write the note right after session and write the note uh, a little bit later. I'm not going to get myself too much more liability than saying that. Uh, but I, I do think that writing your notes from a state of fear doesn't feel good either. So <laughs> going back to the citation to finish up, because I know we're, we're getting short on time. I can see why they said what they said. I can... Imagine a situation where it's appropriate. If it becomes statute that every time we use a word that doesn't seem quote unquote professional, i.e. see the, the session from last week, I worry if that's in statute because I think there are, are different ways we speak with different clients. There are different things that we do. And so to me, I don't, I don't want this to become a statute where we have to do these things. I, I do worry that this is some overreach. And I also feel like there are some things that we can do to protect ourselves, which is sufficiently document what has happened, do it as close to finishing the session as you can, and recognize that part of your documentation is your clinical reminder of what's going on, as well as CYA if somebody comes looking at those notes later. You can check out our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com, follow our social media and Take a moment and drop us a note on your thoughts of what we're covering here, stories that you've heard, and anything else that you would like to have us cover. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code MODERNTHERAPISTS and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest-rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 